Welcome to Flex Perspectives, where I interview the thought leaders, innovators, and executives shaping the future of flexible work. Flex Perspectives is brought to you by Flex Index, the world's most robust source for full-time hybrid and remote work requirements. The Flex Index represents more than 6,500 companies, 45,000 office locations, and 100 million people. It's a great place to start if you're looking for your next flexible work career opportunity. Today, my guest is Erica Keswin. Erica is a best-selling author who has advised companies for more than 20 years on workplace and workforce strategy. She just released a new book called The Retention Revolution, Seven Surprising and Very Human Ways to Keep Employees Connected to Your Company. Today, we'll discuss why it's important for companies to put a clear flex stake in the ground, the ACE framework for applying flexibility to your company, and how world-class companies like TIAA are implementing flexible strategies. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and give us a rating. That helps new listeners find the podcast. Erica, welcome. Hi, so great to be here. Uh, Erica, I really appreciate you taking the time. You've been writing, speaking, consulting, I believe, about workplace topics for 20 plus years. How'd you get started in this topical area to begin with? So it's kind of a funny story. I um, In 2008, nine, I got an iPhone. Like uh, like many of us, when it had just come out, and this this shows my age, but I also had a BlackBerry, and I found myself walking around with with these two phones. And at the time, I had a couple of kids, and I had two things that happened that really brought me into this world of looking at the workplace. One was ten years before that, I went to Bermuda with my husband, my fiance at the time, now husband, and he was like, "Hey, you want to come to Bermuda and work from, you know, work from there." And I was like, well, I don't have any, you know, vacation days because I was saving them for, you know, after we got married for a honeymoon, but I had this new handy dandy device, this Blackberry thing. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could actually go to Bermuda, sit on the beach and, and, and actually work, really work. Um, and I said to myself out loud, this is the life. This is the best thing. <laughs> Fast forward, you know, three kids and another phone later, I began to see you know, not only the benefits, but some of the challenges around technology with my kids telling me to constantly to get off the phone. And in contrast to that moment in Bermuda, when I said, this is the life, I began to say, I can't believe this is my life walking around with these two phones. And so it began this journey of really looking at the impact of technology on how people connect at work, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that really was the beginning. It's so interesting. It really is a, a double-edged sword in that way, right? With great with great flexibility also requires, I guess, great restraint or balance or, or some other skills that are different yeah. from when you're not so tethered. Well, it's intentionality. You know, I, I um, have a podcast also, and it's called Left to Our Own Devices, because I often say, left to our own name. devices, we're not connecting. And so I think where there's a will, there's a way. And that's why I was so excited to learn about you and Scoop and, and come chat today. Oh, well, I appreciate that. You know, it's so funny. You mentioned the BlackBerry example, by the way, and you talked about it being a sign of, um, of of being around technology for a long time. But honestly, I remember early in my career, like that was not like when I came out in 2008, as you mentioned from school, that was just transitioning into the iPhone. Uh, but BBM in some ways, like BlackBerry Messenger, I feel like was the original iChat, right? Like that was the first yeah. network of, of communicating back and forth and getting pins. Like I remember those days fondly. Yeah, it was a great phone. It was. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, now you're 20 years into it. You, as you, uh, as we talked about in the beginning, you are just finished a book, Retention Revolution. Um, what inspired this particular book? And, and tell me a little bit more about kind of what types of uh, topics it covers. 
great. So, you know, as you said, this is my third book and so much of what we know about work has changed, you know, post pandemic over the last three and a half years. However, I would say that many of the trends, and I'm sure you've seen this in your work as well, they weren't all new. Many of them were, we were thinking about many trends well before the pandemic. The pandemic just accelerated them with all the knowledge workers literally overnight going home. So the book focuses on how do we stay connected to our employees? Because when we think about careers and how especially new generations think about work, you know, Gen Z, millennials, but really Gen Z, who's taking over the the workplace these days, but in terms of numbers, they look at their careers as a portfolio. They may, they, they likely won't stay at one company, two companies, or even three companies for their whole career. And so we need to think about work more as a virtuous cycle. We need to be really intentional when we onboard them. And I call that start as you mean to go on. And I'm actually wearing my my new sweater I love it. that says start as you mean to go on, which is if if things like flexibility are important to you as a company, if things like learning and development are important to you as a company, let people know it early and often as part of onboarding. And then when you're when somebody is with you in your company, what can we give them that's mutually beneficial? And then when somebody decides to leave, and they will most likely at some point. How do we stay connected? This is, of course, not if they have stolen or cheated you in some way, but all else being equal, you know, let's try to move away from this idea of don't let the door hit you in the behind, you know, you're dead to me versus, you know what, the door's open or maybe you'll have people come back as boomerangs. And those people tend to be quite, quite valuable in terms of longevity and their ability to add value very quickly. Um, or they'll become a client or a customer, or their kid will come work for you. Who knows? And so that really is the the virtuous cycle of work. The the buckets that I cover in the book, one is flexibility, clearly, which we'll talk about today. One is um, learning and development. I call it from ladders to lily pads, because gone are the days of, you know, organizations are flatter, and we need to be creative about how we move people around the organization. There's a chapter on managers, I mean, it's, it's like my three children. I'm like, I love all my children equally, so it's hard to pick a favorite. But this idea of how do we elevate the role of the manager, the managers right now, it's always been a tough job, but how is being a manager more of a destination and not just something that we want to get through to get somewhere else? And the managers are on the front lines of this retention revolution. They're the ones trying to put the flexibility policies in place. They're the ones dealing with the mental health issues. So I don't know. I could keep go on about this forever. I'm really excited. Um, and it, it really is a, a new way of thinking about work. Well, I'm excited to get into it a little bit. One question I have maybe just on the front end of it is, is there a particular reason why this is the moment you decided to write this? Or does it feel particularly poignant right now? You know, I think, well, part of it was my my agent going, when are you going to write another book? When are you going to write another book? You know, there's so much about work. Everything about work has changed. Um, you know, was there one story I'm trying to think? You know, it's funny. I talk about the company TIAA in the book. And I did a lot of work for them when my rituals book came out. And I would speak at, at a number of their client events around the country. And while I was doing an event, they announced, you know, 2018, 2019, a big change in their company. And they basically said to everybody, um, okay, we want people to be co-located to near an office. 
everybody, you know, very, very few exceptions. We are, you have to move. Like, you know, if you don't live near this office or this office, you're going to have to move to be closer to one, or this isn't going to be the right place for you, which in so many ways seems so foreign right now, fast forward post pandemic. So they made this change. And I remember being there and being in the audience, like seeing the reactions of people. And, um, and so that was sort of book one event that happened. Fast forward, you know, a global pandemic, and they now really are on, you know, the other side of this, having a very explicit, flexible policy with different types of jobs, and you can opt into something that works for you. So similar to the BlackBerry story of this sort of full circle, you know, hearing and seeing that, I thought, wow, there's really a, you know, there's a there there. And that began my research into thinking about work in different ways. I love that story. And I especially love the example of TIAA because it's a, look, it's a large organization. It is pretty rare that organizations of that scale can move so drastically on not just policy, but the underlying philosophy and and thought process around work. It just doesn't happen that often. And so it makes a lot of sense to me that that would be a good timing to to kind of write. Uh, You talked a little bit about some of the different chapters. I love the chapter on flexibility, uh, as I've told you before. And I think the uh, the way that you outline a very clear process around how to think about flexibility, you have some great examples of companies doing this well. Uh, I think if I recall correctly, you started that chapter talking about how the first thing you have to do is put a stake in the ground. I think you called it a flex stake in the ground, if I remember correctly. Uh, tell me a little bit, why is that so important in the, in the starting place for companies as they kind of go through this journey? Yeah. Well, so I'll talk about putting the stake in the ground. I would also say whatever stake you decide to put in the ground, communicate it through the lens of, you know, experimentation that we're putting a stake in the ground, but it may not be forever. I think people are walking around, you know, with their shoulders up next to their ears and everybody. So this is a very stressful topic for many people. And so if, and when you do put a stake in the ground and I agree, you should, and I'll, I'll share why, um, you know, not, things change. So I think, you know, you you put a stake in the ground with the caveat that if it doesn't end up working, you know, we're, we we will think about what kind of, what, what can we do to, to pivot? You know, I heard a, a quote a bunch of years ago, it might've even been Brene Brown that says, you know, kindness is clarity. And I think the anxiety that so many people have around this topic is, is this uncertainty and not knowing you know, not knowing how it really is going to work, not knowing, yes, you might say I should come in three days, but is it really three days? Are the leaders coming in five? Should it really be five? Is, you know, am I going to be penalized? Is there proximity bias? All of these different things. So what I urge people to do is, you know, start by looking at your business strategy, start by looking at where are people actually living, you know, right now um, within your company. And I say that maybe it seems kind of you know, of course, we're going to think about that. But I had someone share with me recently that a company she was working for came up with, they yes, they did put a stake in the ground, but without doing enough research, they said, okay, we're coming in three days a week without doing the analysis to say, wow, 30% of our people actually moved over the last couple of years, as some people call COVID migrants. And if we, if we say that across the board without putting in the scaffolding, without thinking about flexibility in some of the ways I talk about, which I know I have this acronym, which I'm sure you'll ask me about, but without thinking about these other pieces, um, 
in this example, the 30% that moved away felt completely disconnected and left out and stressed, wondering if they were going to have job security. And the people that were close by were not happy that they had to go into the office. And it was like a lose-lose. So when you when you put the stake in the ground, you need to do it in the context of, you know, I guess I'll just, I'll get right into it, which is what I call, you need to ace flexibility. And you need to think about flexibility through the lens of autonomy, connection, and equity. And we'll get into some of the details, but you know, you don't just randomly put a stake in the ground. You strategically put the stake in the ra- in the ground around these ideas. So one thing that's really interesting about that to me, and, and maybe we can use a company example, you were talking about TIAA is a great example of a company that's evolved on this over time, is it sounds like you have to put a stake in the ground but in some ways, you don't want to put it too deep in the ground because it's somewhat early and there might be uh, iteration or change in perspective as you get feedback. How do you balance as a company communicating clearly and setting expectations so employees feel like they can rely on that with also recognizing the need to be flexible and communicating to employees that it may not always be this way or we're confident in iterating on this based on what we learn along the way? Yeah. I mean, I think you said it just like you say it. I talk about what is the recipe of a, of a great leader on a topic like this, you know, in, and the recipe, you know, when you're cooking, although I don't really cook much, you know, it's one part this, two parts that, three parts this, you know, the recipe is you communicate it through the lens of vulnerability, empathy, and experimentation. So, you know, the vulnerability piece is, look, I get it. You know, this might not be so easy. But this makes sense for these reasons from a business perspective. You know, it's not only challenging for you dealing with it. You know, you might have issues around childcare, issues around different things, because we're now going to change. We're putting a stake in the ground and we're going to be in the office three days or whatever it is. Um, it's not, you know, it's also challenging for me, you know, as the leader or manager. So a little bit of vulnerability, some empathy saying, you know, the, the last three and a half years to me, I, I, the analogy I often use, it's like a pendulum where one step in three steps back, two steps in three steps back. And, and, you know, there, there's anxiety around it. So it's t- giving people, telling people, you know what, I get that this is uncomfortable, but we need to put a stake in the ground and, and here's what we're doing. Here's why. However, it, if things do change, you know, we are open to change. And so it's just keeping it open. The other thing that I would say, and I, I had this conversation with somebody yesterday is, you know, my first book was Bring Your Human to Work. And that book underlies everything that I think about. And, and when people would say to me, what does it mean to bring your human to work? It's about honoring relationships with your colleagues, with your boss, with your clients, with your direct reports. So I raise that because let's say I, the company I spoke to yesterday said, we're coming in, we're coming in three days. This is our stake in the ground, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Most of our people are co-located. We even set up, um, they're in New York City, but we also, during the pandemic, they set up a regional hub in Long Island, in Connecticut, New Jersey. I was like, this is amazing because that's the issue. The people that move outside New York City are like, oh, I don't want to commute right, 60 miles, like, not so easy yes. to cover. I'm yeah. like, this is actually amazing. Um, and But then someone said, and this is why like the managers need to get trained to sort of deal with some of this stuff. At the end of the day, let's say, you know, it's it's back to school week, which we're recording this on September 8th. So it's is back to school week. And let's say I live on Long Island and and there is a Long Island office, but I'd still I have to do my drop off in the middle of the day. We yet. Yes, we're Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday in the office. But on Wednesday, I have a preschooler and I have to be around for this very long drop off. 
you know, that's the that's the part of flexibility I mean, that we're, we're we're flexing our flexibility in that case. So so there's this human layer that yeah, it makes no sense to commute even to your local office or into the city because it's it's not good for you and it's not good for the business. So I feel like that human layer always has to be a piece of it, which is more more art than science, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it almost sounds like uh, firm policy loosely held in some ways in terms of allowing you know, some flexibility in terms of, of what it means to customize that um, in a way that in a way that makes sense. And yeah, I guess you, you say to your boss, this is what I have. It's not a free for all. But if you want to retain people, you know, there's an expectation. I mean, during the pandemic, another big trend, and there's a chapter in the book called the human being a human professional is not an oxymoron, that during the pandemic, leaders were mu- were much more vulnerable and empathetic because they had to be. The kids were in the background. The technology was breaking down. The dog was barking. And people, employees got used to these new leaders that were actually human. And if you want to retain people, you have to retain that level of humanness. I love that. I think that's incredibly well put. In some ways, it dovetails with, you know, and you started to get into this framework already, right, around the, the ACE framework you're talking about for flexibility. I think the A stands for autonomy, if I remember correctly, yep. right? Um, why is it that autonomy is is so much maybe more important now or critical in getting you know, flexible work right? And are there some examples of of companies that you feel like are doing a really good job at bringing this forward into the way they think about the world. Yeah. You know, I think autonomy was always important. Um, I mean, who doesn't want to have a little bit of autonomy over their life? I think we'd like a lot of it, but we can't always get a lot depending on our role. So I think a little goes a long way when it comes to autonomy, depending on the role. And there was a book way back that I, I, quoted in, um, I think it was in Bring Your Human to Work, called Sleeping with Your Smartphone. And it was a whole study that they did at BCG. And it wasn't that a lot of the consultants at BCG didn't want to work hard. They just, the, the, the not knowing where, when, and how, and having no autonomy at all was, was causing them to leave. So what they did was they, they got all of the consultants in a room within their project team. And they asked people, and they had to create a, a you know, a culture within the team of psychological safety so that people would be honest to say, okay, you know, we, we, our client is in Minnesota, let's say, and we have to get there on, you know, we were, we're in the office on Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we have to fly there. We have the project team flying there on a Monday. Um, and, you know, Erica really wants to, you know, be able to bring her kids to school on Monday. So she'd rather fly in later in the day And, you know, maybe Rob says, you know, you are actually training for a marathon and you'd rather get there Monday and on, you know, Tuesdays do a really long, do your 20 mile run. I mean, whatever it is. And so we're all still working hard, but we have a conversation to give us a little bit of autonomy. And in the new book, I I really look at this as a way that technology can help support some of this autonomy. So at General Mills, for example, you know, you they want those plants running 24-7 and, you know, they got to make the cereal. So, but what about if they, if you can leverage technology to say, again, maybe Rob would rather have three shifts that are 12 hours and Erica would rather have a bunch of shifts that are, that are more nine to five, or there's an opportunity for us to trade shifts. And so again, thinking about giving people a little bit of autonomy. I love that. And I think it 
in some ways, it speaks to some of the data that we've seen in, in the Flex Index around policy, right? Where for for larger companies, like if we were looking at General Mills scale or TIA or some of the other companies we've been talking about, we're seeing most often the policy be minimum days per week, right? Which the like company is setting some guardrails around, be it two days or three days, whatever it might be. But then teams are customizing at the yes. team level and basically saying, okay, well, let's come up with our agreement on what works for our team based on who we're collaborating with, what the individual needs are on the team. So it still kind of fits the overall uh, mantra, so to speak, or the, or the guardrails that are being put in place at the company level, but it's human and it's kind of customized in that way to the um, to individual requirements. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, the other one that there are also roles that, you know, and this is one of the benefits of the pandemic, like pushing us to rethink how work works. You know, one would never think that if you walk into a Neiman Marcus, that it, that how could a sales associate ever have flexible work to work from home? Like you would, you're like, that's impossible. But people demanded it. And when all the stores closed and people got a sense of, you know, being home, they they wanted to have a little bit of that flexibility. And so what they what they found at Neiman Marcus Group was that if you work at a high at a high end retail like Neiman Marcus and they own Bergdorf's, and and the sales associate has some clients or customers that you know they're 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 putting new outfits on their social media or they're re- they're sending emails saying, okay, Erica, you know you have a book launch coming up. Here are some outfits for you. You can do that at home. And so. You know, you're still doing your work and you're still doing very impactful work, but you're giving these roles that you never thought could have flexibility, some flexibility. Um, it's not rocket science, but it takes work. But I think it, it, it will, you will be paid back in spades. I mean, to me, it, it is something that every leader really needs to be thinking about. I love that example. And one of the reasons why I think it's so powerful is there is a narrative sometimes that gets pushed around around flexibility that it's not fair because flexibility is only accessible to uh, quote unquote knowledge workers who have desk-based work. And as a result, um, anybody who has to be closer to customer or front lines can't experience it. And that's not fair in terms of the way to think about work. But to your point with some intentionality, actually a lot of different roles um, and different types of companies can embrace it. And another example I heard recently, which I thought was really clever was um, talking about teachers and uh, specifically faculty at university where they may be in class, right, from the fall semester and the spring semester. But over the summer, you can create a lot of flexibility in where they do their work and do they need to be on campus or not? And what does that mean? And, and actually changing policy around that and giving the opportunity to work from anywhere during that time uh, is a way of embracing flexibility seasonally, even if it can't be available by virtue of what you do on an everyday basis across the year. Yeah. I want to share one example. Um, this may this may come out as a little bit of bit controversial, um, but there were some school systems that were, you know, that everybody was demanding flexibility. And there were some, I think like it was in Michigan where teachers were like, well, you know, all these other people get to work, for, you know, the four day work week or come in. We want to come in. And I have to say, I mean, you know, there's such a childcare crisis in this country that all of a sudden, like, I would rather think about flexibility in a different way for certain teachers to say, all of a sudden, if you say the teachers aren't coming in, are only coming in four days a week, you know, what are the, what are the families going to do with the kids <laughs> on the fifth day and kids that rely on food at school? So again, that will take us in a whole other direction, 
But I think flexibility is amazing, but we want to think about it in a way from an equity perspective, from a, an equity that's good for people, also good for our organizations, but also being able to push back saying, you know what, I know you might want tons and tons of flexibility, but in this job, that, types of, that type of flexibility just, you know, ain't going to cut it kind of thing. That's right. And, and look, there's some balance and rationality in terms of what's possible and not possible. And, yeah. and I think that's that's part of the give and take between what profession you choose for your profession and your employer and needs. And, and I think that um, coming to the table, recognizing that it's a bit of a balance, I think is really important. Yeah. Uh, since you brought up equity, I'm going to go out of order. Right? We're gonna, okay. we'll, go to the, we'll go to the E from the A, right? But I know equity is a word um, and as you noted, it gets it's thrown around thrown around a lot. Uh, I personally believe it's often misunderstood in the way that it's kind of like used and characterized. When you think about equity in the context of the workplace and workplace flexibility, what exactly does equity mean to you, and and what is the kind of equity that you think the company should be striving for? Yeah, I agree. It's 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 a tricky one, and people think about it differently. I think about it in a couple of ways. One is even the examples that we just talked about. I think in many jobs. It doesn't just have to be the knowledge workers, you know, the the sales associate, the factory worker, that we really can think about flexibility for all in different ways. The second way I think about flexibility in terms of equity is, um, you know, from a, from a policy perspective that, you know, if we say, okay, we're going to be in the office three days a week and we have all the senior people going in five days, there's really some mixed messages that are being sent. Is it really Three? Am I going to be harmed if it's three? Like you're telling me it's three, but I don't really believe it. And what I've also seen happen in some organizations is that, again, this is sort of stereotype. So this isn't like hard data. It's, it's anecdotal, but I've seen in a number of places where there is flexibility, but it's the caregivers you know, that are taking, you know, men and women, but many more women that are saying, okay, it's three days a week. I'm crushing it. I'm getting my work done. So I have no issue. I'm going in only, you know, the three days that everyone's saying are the three days. And then more of the men or the non-primary caregivers are going into the office five days. And I mean, as much as we can say that we can work against proximity bias, you know, it's real. And so Rob walks by somebody in the office. Hey, Rob, I have this really cool project. Why don't you take a look? So if we want to mitigate for some of that, we need to rethink how work and out, we need to measure outcomes, um, which is hard in some jobs, but that we need to have a real focus on measuring outcomes if we want this flexibility to work and, and the equity piece. And we also have to, you know, maybe we think about a new way that jobs or projects get divided. Um, and not just the way that in some cases it's been where we bump into somebody at the water cooler. I, I think it's such an important topic in, 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 for me in a couple of different slices based on what you were describing, right? Like there's, there's one that's within a company, how much time can a different, a particular individual spend in an office versus another based on the demands on their life and their time and how they learn and, and how that even can vary for the same individual at different points in their life, right? Based on the different care needs or requirements that are happening. Um, but the second is just workforce participation broadly. And I think in some of the, the recent Bureau of Labor Statistics data, 
Um, I think it was women, I want to say 25 to 44 participation in the workforce in the U.S. is at all-time high right now. Um, Employees with disabilities are participating in the workforce at an all-time high. And so I guess there's an element to this that is almost binary in terms of ability to participate and not beyond even the how do you think about this for different employees that are already at your company that may have different needs. A hundred, a hundred. I mean, the, the, the numbers with the women, I mean, everybody, the women all left in the pandemic, many of them. I mean, the numbers were insane. It's like the pendulum. And now the numbers of women are through the roof. So I love that. And, and when I even think about my own friends that have been able to go back to work, they're excited even, you know, they that they get to participate. Um, so that's one level of equity and inclusion. But then that next layer is, okay, you know, for three years, I'm just excited to be able to have a job, right? I get to go, I can work part-time. There's so much more flexibility. And then all of a sudden, maybe your circumstances change and you're really ready to dive in. And then I, I just wonder, all of a sudden, have the, are the women really, you know, there, there's more of a spread because they've not been in the office. Who knows? So right now I'm, I'm over the moon excited about the participation um, it will be interesting to see when we look at the like the, where it comes out on the that leadership. Next frontier so, in some you ways. know the leader the leadership levels. Like when my kids were little, you know, I mean, I would be and I did. I had, I had an amazing job that was three days a week, and we moved to Colorado for a year, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have to give up this like amazing job that enables me an opportunity to you know keep my toe in the water because back then those jobs were hard to find. So I would say all of it's more positive than not. But I, you know, we, we just need to keep watching and it's still it. And a we journey. need to make sure that the leaders are modeling whatever it is they say they want to do. So who are some companies that that you think of as, as either world-class or very innovative in getting this right that maybe other companies should be looking at as inspiration um, on this topic? You know, it's it, it's real I you know, it's really new, like to 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 figure out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call out a bunch of companies solely on the equity piece where I would call out companies is I think the equity piece is very connected to the C, the connection piece, because the, the companies that are designing for connection, those are the companies that end up doing better on the equity perspective. So what I mean by that is, you know, this idea of left to our own devices, we're not connecting. Um, what, what we don't want is and this is, again, my own personal preference, the companies that, that are really struggling on the flexibility front, and I'm going to answer your question in a roundabout way, are saying, okay, everybody come in two days, come in whichever two days you want. Now, some people might be a fan of that. I don't see it working because you get what I call the recipe for resentment. I like schlep in from you know Long Island to New York City. I'm exhausted. I'm sweating. It's 100 degrees there right now on the subway. And, and three, you know, three people on my eight person team aren't there because they didn't pick the same day. And so, you know, you mentioned the team level, the team agreements, some companies are doing it, some aren't. They Some are erring more on the side of just saying, everybody pick two days. And so the companies that are, that are indexing well on the equity are, are thinking, let's design times in the office that are worth the commute. Let's make sure when people come in that they're not doing the exact same kind of work they could be doing from home. You know, that makes no sense. So why should we come in? We're going to innovate. We're going to have learning and development programs. We're going to bond with each other. I highlight a really cool company in the book called WITS. It's a not-for-profit called Working in the Schools, where you know, it's they have companies that work with them that say, all right, we're all coming in on a Wednesday 
and we're going to go and we read to kids in inner city schools. So Mm. we do something good for the world. We bond with each other. Um, But there's a reason why we came in and not just sitting in our own parts of the office doing the spreadsheets that are actually probably better done at home when no one's interrupting us. So again, we have to think about equity. In my opinion, I'd love yours because, you know, you're the flexibility expert too, you know, that, that the companies seem to be doing better on equity aren't just making people come in for the sake of a box check. I think that's right. And I think I think there's probably a few elements in my mind based on what you said that, that you have to do to get this right. You know, I think there's there's certainly an intentionality around where you do what kinds of work, quote unquote, right? And the idea of bringing people in to sit at their own desks and do the same um, coding or individual contributor work, whatever they were going to do at home is a, is a waste of time. Like, why do I need to commute a couple hours to do the same thing I was going to do at home? And yeah. so I think companies are probably still very in the early innings of how do I design weeks so that an employee can do certain types of activities that are more collaborative or social in nature when they're in the office and not when they're not. The biggest challenge, I think, around um, intentionality around specific days and why I think it's getting customized at the team level is uh, different days work for different people for a whole bunch of different reasons, right? Like a cadence for one team might operate where getting together on a Monday is really valuable. Uh, and for a different yeah. team based on external partners or internal stakeholders, it could be Thursday, you know, yeah, uh, different 100%. personalities. So I think that really matters. Um, And frankly, as you know, from a scoop perspective, that's also where I think software becomes very important to make it easier to see who's going to be where or coordinate that so that you don't waste time and go into the office on a day that doesn't make sense. But uh, I think it's still a journey. And uh, the one thing everyone seems to agree with is that if I go into the office and no one is there or I spend the day heads down or on Zoom, that's probably a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that recipe for resentment. People are mad, frustrated, and that's when they're going to look to leave. And that's why this idea of flexibility is so is so correlated with retention. So one thing I'm curious about, because I'm, I'm sure you've heard it from lots of executives that you've talked to at different companies, and I think it's probably the most common refrain when it comes to connection, is uh, you can't drive connection when employees aren't in the office together, right? And so employers are, or executives are asking for more time spent together in the office because they think it, it kind of drives you know connection further and further. Uh, I'm guessing that you've probably seen companies that do very well at this with not full time in the office or thinking about other creative ways to drive connection or or make more out of that time together. Uh, Any best practices or kind of interesting examples that are coming through for how people are driving those strong connections, even when they're not spending five days a week together? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'd say that the first example it goes back to the word you said earlier, which which is intentionality. You can drive connection when you're remote. You can drive connection when you're in person. You could also be in person and not feel connected at all, um, which is when I wrote Bring Your Human to Work, people would call into their meetings from down the hall. So that to me, if people were on the days they were in the office doing that right now, I just spoke with a CEO from Baltimore who literally walks around. He's like, okay, no, 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 no. This is the day we're in the office. You are not calling into the meeting. You are, we have a conference room. You are coming in. And so part of it is, you know, we've gotten into almost habits of just being disconnected. And I also think what people forget about, we're also in the midst of this crazy, you know, loneliness and and isolation time. You know, the Surgeon General came out with this new 50-some-odd-page report about this loneliness crisis. So at least in 2023, we're not robots, we're humans, and humans are wired for connection. But we just, 
again, cheesy as it is, left to our own devices is not going to happen. So the 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 wits example, you know, the coming into volunteer, I think again is is really interesting. And and the the rush of oxytocin that people get when they come in for that is amazing. There's a company in the book um, called EA Markets, and you know, again, their cadence was different. They're coming in once a, only once only quote once a month. They actually said these days have gone so well. They're they, people are asking for more of more. it. And they, they, I went in, they, they hired me to come in and help them design what they called a super day. And what we did was we said, okay, well, what are the company's values? How should we design the day? Because what we don't want is people coming in and doing spreadsheets. So we designed it around the values of health, wealth, and growth. And so part of the day is literally just spent connecting and bonding. Part of the day is spent around learning and development. Part of the day, they almost have like a speed this is probably not PC, but, you know, like a speed dating, but not like a speed date. Like in banking, they used to have those super days, you right. know, where you just met with a lot of people and had meetings. So they did that and people love it and they're doing it again. I also think that um, I'd say one other trend that I'm seeing, and I'm actually going out to Microsoft in a couple of weeks to kick off what they call team week. And for them, they have a few days in the office, but they realized that they hired a lot of people during the pandemic that do not live in Seattle and they're not asking them to move, um, which we saw in the news the other day about Grindr, right? That they asked everybody to move, which probably, I think I think you made some comments on, on social media, which I saw. I may have, yeah. in, in many ways, it was probably just a, a way to have a layoff without calling it a layoff. Um, but, they, but they realized that the people that didn't live near Seattle were, you know, they're, they're, they're living where they're living, but they were starting to feel even like this energy of people going back into the office in Seattle. So now they're getting together two weeks a year for team week and it's, you know, bonding and strategy and speakers and all these things. And the data shows that if you have concentrated time together, you can live off those relationships for a long time to come. And, you know, as, as we know, once you've been with somebody in person, the way that you begin to communicate, you know, in a remote way is, is very different. And so, you know, and then there's companies that have really great, you know, I think some the days of all the Zoom happy hours, we all sort of got sick of those. But I, one thing that I think is really important when you're virtually is this idea of making sure that you're really checking in with, with your people. And it doesn't have to be for 20 minutes of a 45 minute meeting, but even just a moment to kind of take the pulse. You know, the, one of the underlying themes, I think, in what you just described, and there's some really, really great anecdotes from Microsoft and other companies in there, um, is if you if you shift the orientation away from, I have a requirement that I want employees to do a thing. And I'm not saying that requirements aren't important, right? And, and, and it is important for companies to have a clear point of view, as we talked about, and a stake in the yeah. ground around what they think matters. But and if you and start to your to, point, the team level agreement that you said. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a structure. Exactly. Um, and if you start to say, OK, let, that's that's only one kind of like piece of the puzzle or, or side of the coin, if you will. Right. And then the other half of it is around uh, what entices someone to want to get together, you know, and how do you make those days feel valuable? Uh, it unlocks a, a different mindset and a different set of tools that are available to you to kind of like improve that experience. And one example I heard um, not too long ago uh, from a company I thought was interesting, a big tech company, is um, they found in one of their offices in the UK uh, that they had something like, I don't know, let's say maybe 40 or 50% kind of like office utilization. Uh, and so they made the decision to cut the office 
way down to kind of fit that. And then all of a sudden it had like 80 or 90% utilization and it felt busier and more exciting. And all of a sudden there was more demand to go into the office counterintuitively because the office was smaller. In some ways it's like the, (laughs) if I have a party um, and all the right people are there, but the room is too big, it just feels weird, right? Versus like it's scoped the right way. And so thinking about how you design that space to make it attractive for people to want to come in, how do you design that time? Um, Raj Chowdhury, the professor at HBS, did a similar study that corroborated what you were describing um, that found that off-sites, even for a couple of days, you know, infrequently build enough weak tie and social connection that it lasts an asynchronous work um, for months and months afterward when people aren't together, um, I think is a really good complementary tool to getting people into the office on a regular basis that actually allows you to kind of build some of that connection. Yeah. I mean, look, everybody is thinking about, and I think you've had a few people on on this podcast, right, that are talking about the office space um, and how to think about space and how to redesign space for connection and how much space is too much. I, I mean, I do believe that 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 an office is important. You know, you could end up getting rid of all your offices and renting space. You know, that is you know, that's a different set of issues, but, you know, I do believe, you know, it's under, it's it's the same reason why when I said, you know, we need to ace flexibility, the connection piece is important. So you want to think through how big the space is. I totally agree. I actually was at a company in New York recently where they're now going from three floors to two floors. And I'm excited that they took my advice because they had two, I can't remember, or three days in the office, but everybody could pick their own. So it every day felt like a ghost town Hmm. and you never had a critical mass. They had too much space. Um, It wasn't concentrated. And then it was sort of, it was depressing. And then that feeds on itself and nobody wants to go in versus designing moments that matter in the office on certain days, you know, maybe on a Wednesday with everybody on this one floor, maybe your team does something on a different floor, whatever it is, it goes back to, again, I feel like this, this intentionality of, of even how to use the space. Yep. I love that. So we, we talked about putting a stake in the ground and the importance of that. We talked about ACE and autonomy and connection and equity. Are there any other critical elements of flexibility that we're missing or should spend a moment on in terms of uh, what you're finding or some of the best practice in driving this uh, retention revolution, if you will. I got to think. Let's see. I have the book right here in front of me. Let's <laughs> see if there's anything critical that I, anything critical that I missed. Um, you know, I guess one thing, and we touched on it a little bit. You know, in the book for the for the listeners, you know, that haven't seen it or read it, in every chapter I have an old idea about work and a new beginning. And in this chapter, the old idea is employees are only working when you can see them. And the new beginning is it's official, autonomy and flexibility are good for business, great for people, and just might change the world. So, you know, uh, when we think about flexibility, we've got to rethink how we measure productivity. That just because they're coming in, that just because you can see them doesn't mean that they're that they're working. And one of the fun examples, and I have it in my keynote, I have an image of um, the mouse jiggler. And the mouse jiggler, if, if anybody recalls, you know, it, during the pandemic, many companies put put keystroke technology, you know, started using the certain technology that were tracking keystrokes um, because they assume when people were typing, they were working. Well, you know, kind of not a great assumption, 
So then all of a sudden you could order one of these mouse jigglers, which sits on your computer and you could be walking the dog or going to Pilates and your, and your mouse is jiggling. And so it just <laughs> highlights the fact that just because you can see your people, you may not be working. Let's be thoughtful. You know, flexibility is not going away. And if we approach flexibility, thinking it through with this ACE model, it is good for people and good for business. We just need to move away from some of our of our old ideas that you have to be in the office to be working. Eric, I love that you brought that up. I think it's the funniest <laughs> thing. The, the Part of what makes it so funny to me is I think that sometimes executives forget what it was like when they were at different points in their career and what it means to kind of like be an employee. And people are endlessly clever. They will come up with ways to get out of the things that they do not want to do. If you yes. set a requirement that people need to be in the office a certain number of days, they will test you on how much time that is or other ways to badge in. If you come in for 45 minutes, it'll still show up in the badge report that the person was in the office that day. Managers don't love to have to enforce that stuff um, and be the person who has to kind of crack the whip on yeah. it. And so uh, this is a big part of why I agree that like you look, you have to do this in a way that employees buy into. Otherwise, you're going to chase your tail. Employees are very clever at doing things that they do not. They, they're very good at getting out of things that they do not want to do. Yes, correct. As our children. Yes, uh, which I'm experiencing right now firsthand with a two-year-old. So yes, oh I, I am seeing that. Um, Erica, this is great. Uh, one of the things that we do every time with our guests before we finish up uh, is it's just a quick rapid fire, ask some questions about you just so people can get to know you as a person a little bit more. Are you okay with that? Yeah, sure. Okay. First question, what was your very first job? I was a waitress and I have to say I loved it. I was, uh, was pretty good at it. Um, and my claim to fame is that I lit a bread basket on fire on a candle. I didn't get <laughs> fired, but, but that was quite a day. That's probably quite an event too for that table. That's yeah, hysterical. Exactly. Um, what is the best book you've read lately? You know, I will say I haven't read that many books lately because I've been working so hard on writing, the, writing this book. Um, I just went back and reread, and it really relates to some of your questions today, The Art of Gathering, hmm. um, because I think we need to keep threading the needle on why and how we gather. And I think it's also very connected to flexibility. Yeah, super important topic at the moment. Um, different medium. Uh, what is a show or a movie that you're obsessed with right now? Um, you know, I, well, show or movie, I we love... I mostly watch sports. We are a huge sports family and I've been watching the U S open. I cannot wait for football season to start that all being said. And it's also sports related. I guess the last real show that I watched was, and I'm kind of bummed it's over is, is Ted Lasso, but you probably hear that a lot. I love Ted Lasso. I agree I with you. I'm also a huge sports fan and uh, Georgia Bulldogs is like my, um, that is my, my number one passion. So yes. Um, when you do go into an office, what's your favorite office snack? I, this is bad and I try to change every year, but I, I, I really like candy. So I'm, I'm more of like a, I love dark chocolate, but I'm like a gummy candy. I like Swedish fish, <laughs> Mike and Ike's, all those kinds of things, I which is Swedish bad because too. when we go in the office, your sugar, your, your sugar spikes, and then you, then you need the, the napping pad, you know, the pods to take a nap because you're so tired. Totally. Swedish fish would be right there for me. Sour Patch Kids would also yeah. be right up on that list. Um, who is one future of work thinker or writer that you really respect? You know, I would say, 
I would say one HR leader that I've been sort of reading a lot of what he posts is the CHRO of um, Greenhouse Software, Donald Knight. I've also been reading a lot of what Charter Group is putting out that are really, really tracking a lot of the trends that, that um, you know, that's going on as well. I'd say Brian Elliott's putting out some good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Brian's been on the on Flex Perspectives before, and we had um, we had Kevin and Masella at um, Charter come on and uh, talk about uh, HR mandate uh, to learn and kind of lead on AI, which I thought was fascinating. They yeah. did some really good content there. Um, all right, one last question for listeners that want to learn more about you or find your book. Uh, where would you send them? Send them to my website, which is just my name, Erica at Keswin.com. There's a link to the books. There's links to the keynotes. Um, people can always email me at Erica at Erica Keswin.com. I usually respond or actually always respond. Um, and I'm just excited to, to really get the word out there. Awesome. Well, look, I think the Retention Revolution is a fantastic book. I appreciate all of your thinking and leadership on this topic and helping us all collectively learn how to do this better. Uh, and thanks for taking the time to chat today. I really appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, it was great. I look forward to meeting you in person one day soon. That sounds great. Thanks, Rob. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Please also consider giving us a rating or leaving a review as that helps other listeners find the podcast. For more Flex Index content, including past episodes, our Flex Index newsletter, and monthly research reports, visit flex.scoopforwork.com. See you next time.